is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about the insurrection. I want to talk about the insurrection that's been going on since January 20th, noon plus one second. With the inauguration of Joe Biden as President of the United States, And his running mate, Kamala Harris, as Vice President of the United States. The insurrection that's been taking place ever since. To destroy our electoral system. To destroy separation of powers and the independence of the courts. To destroy our financial system. To destroy our economic system. To destroy our sovereignty and the notion of citizenship. To destroy our public schools and what's taught in our public schools. I want to talk about an ongoing insurrection that is being led by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Being aided and abetted by the corrupt American media. And being pushed by the tenured Marxists in our colleges and universities. That's what I want to talk about, a real insurrection. Not an unarmed group of people breaching the Capitol building, of which none of us support. When the then President of the United States offered 10,000 National Guardsmen and Nancy Pelosi turned them down. I watched today as Joe Biden did one of his dog and pony shows. I watched it. They're handing out the Congressional Gold Medal to the Washington Metropolitan Police Force and the Capitol Police Force. They're going to display them in, among other places, the Smithsonian Institution, as well as the Capitol Building. So we never forget this day is the day when our republic was on the line. When people tried to overthrow our government, that's what they said. Who's overthrowing our government today? Who's overthrowing our systems today? 
It's Joe Biden and his party. Joe Biden and his party, who support Antifa, who support Black Lives Matter. Joe Biden and his party, who invite people into this country, who have deadly viruses, MS-13, other gang groups, narcos. Joe Biden and his party, who sit back and are silent while little girls are being raped and molested by staff that work for his administration, ultimately. Insurrection on the border. Insurrection in the country. That's what I see. There was a police officer whose name was omitted today when Joe Biden was handing out praise for certain other officers. His name is Billy Evans. Billy Evans was murdered in broad daylight. When a black nationalist member of the Nation of Islam drove his car into two police officers, one of whom was killed, Billy Evans, as he was crushed against the barrier. No congressional gold medal for Billy Evans. No mention of Billy Evans. And yet Joe Biden talked about police officers who were killed on January 6th. No police officer was killed on January 6th. Ashley Babbitt was killed on January 6th. A 14-year veteran who hadn't harmed a soul. She was killed on January 6th. Her name was omitted too, as if she never existed. As if she was never a human being. Joe Biden used to support the defund the police, but more specifically, slashing their budgets. His vice president talked about reimagining police departments. When our federal law enforcement was under brutal attack for 100 nights in a row in Portland, Oregon, Nancy Pelosi, who urged the signing of the bill for the congressional gold medals handed out today, Called them stormtroopers. It's never mentioned. James Clyburn, the number three Democrat in the House, called them stormtroopers. It's never mentioned. And the Democrat Party, whether it's mayors and city councilmen, whether it's governors, are at war and have been at war with our police. And there's an enormous amount of blood on their hands. And so they come out today and they want you to think that they support the cops. Of course they don't support the cops. There's so much information missing from January 6th. There are some video, we've seen them with our own two eyes, where police officers are letting people into the building. Are they being charged with trespass too? That is, the people who came in when the doors were open for them? Now, Nancy Pelosi is a fascistic, in this sense, a totalitarian Speaker of the House. She has all power. She seized it, and she exercises it. She did nothing to prepare for January 6th, even though she was alerted. 
she was alerted that they need to increase law enforcement. Even though she was offered 10,000 National Guardsmen from the President of the United States. And these are issues that go unresolved. Joe Biden, again, being a pathological liar, psychotic in so many ways, even when he had some of his wits about him, says even during the Civil War, the Capitol building wasn't breached. And yet Joe Biden is absolutely silent when Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter, pardons four, first one and then three, Puerto Rican national terrorists, pardons them, even though they shot up the House of Representatives, wounding four, excuse me, five individuals, including seriously a member of Congress. Joe Biden forgets about that. Carter pardoned one in 78 and three in 79. Joe Biden was a senator. Does anybody remember him speaking out? I looked. I can't find it. Not to be outdone. Not to be outdone. Bill Clinton releases pardons, in effect. Susan Rosenberg, part of the Weather Underground that bombed the United States Capitol, blew up a room in the basement of the Capitol. She was found with 700 pounds of TNT. She only served 16 or so years of her 58-year sentence. But Bill Clinton let her out, where she has been working with, by the way, with Black Lives Matter. What about Bill Ayers? Close friend and ally of Barack Obama when he was an Alinskyite community activist, helped launch his political career in his living room. Part of the Weather Underground brags about a trifecta. The Capitol building, the Pentagon, and the White House. Those were their targets. He got off on a technicality. All kinds of breaches that took place, and yet, pardons, friendships. Unbelievable. And not just the Capitol building, the FALN in New York. Murdered a police officer, another, another person. Blew up a restaurant. They got pardons too. Nobody handed out congressional gold medals to any of the police officers who were involved in trying to defend us then. Not one congressional gold medal for the Secret Service personnel and the Park Service personnel, the police, who one night had to spend half a day, half a night, defending the White House itself. Many were injured. Not a word from Joe Biden. When's the last time the White House itself came under attack, Joe, during the Civil War? 
Well before that, actually. Joe Biden is a very sick, very pathetic man. Always has been. But the media love him. They drag him across various finish lines. They cover up for him on Tara Reid. And he makes these comments that are really appalling. Now he wants to take out, you see, DeSantis. Because DeSantis won't go along with the Cuomo, Newsom, Whitmer, Murphy, Pritzker program, which is to destroy the people of your state, destroy businesses in your state, use the iron fist, Arrest people, shut down gyms, punish people, shut down churches. DeSantis says, no, I'm not doing that. And so what do they say? Look at the percentage of hospitalizations. 25% of them are in Florida. They talk about hospitalizations. They don't talk about death. Because when you look at the death rate in Florida, it's among the lowest of all the states. Among the lowest of all the states. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, let me just say this. I got the vaccine, and I was glad I did. I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as did my wife. But before there were vaccines, last summer, I flew multiple times from Virginia to Florida and Florida to Virginia, multiple times. Wore my mask, had the sanitizer, I'm not looking to be a tough guy against a pandemic. That's kind of stupid, actually. And I took hydroxychloroquine with vitamin D and zinc. They said not to do it. They said don't do it. People are having reactions, particularly if you have heart disease or asthma. Well, I have heart disease and asthma. Didn't adversely affect me in the least. I took it every week. A decent amount. Now why did I do that? Because billions and billions and billions of dosages of hydroxychloroquine have been consumed all over the world. They were given to our troops in World War II to help prevent them from getting malaria when they fought in the jungles on one island after another, including my grandfather. And it's been used for over half a century common sense I said wait a minute all of a sudden hydroxychloroquine is poison no so I took it and I never got the virus I'm not saying that's why but maybe it helped my wife in a similar situation when she was helping in the Pennsylvania case one of the Pennsylvania cases that the Supreme Court flirted with taking up, but apparently they couldn't get a majority in one of the constitutional cases. She was also on hydroxychloroquine and vitamin D and zinc. And virtually every single lawyer she worked with got the coronavirus. And they were in small quarters, they were in one room often, working together, passing briefs, passing drafts, one to the other. She was the only one who didn't get it, Mr. Producer. Follow the science, they say. But they who say it don't really mean it. But they lock that border down. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
You know, sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com, and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched to the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash Levin, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long, folks. With Helix, better sleep starts now. One of the things the uh, American Marxists like to do, and Joe is very good at this, is they like to find other targets. They embrace the Zelenskyite stuff. So, you know, the Georgia legislature, that's Jim Crow, and DeSantis is irresponsible, and, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, I want to remind you that Joe Biden has nominated somebody for the Bureau of Land Management, which is part of the Interior Department. Uh, who has a terrorist background. In fact, um, as, let's see, who is it? Sean Page and Jason Segelman, right? The confirmation process brought to light, and her name is Tracy Stone Manning. Her domestic terrorist past, some argue it makes her unfit to command the approximately 12% of the American landmass BLM controls. During a year as a graduate student at the University of Montana, she was involved with the eco-terrorist group Earth First, which in 2002 was labeled a radical group by the FBI. And today, of course, would be uh, labeled a mainstream pro-polar bear group. The group gave rise to the Earth Liberation Front, serious terrorist threat. And in any event, um, she supported all kinds of very... Well, vicious and violent acts. Violent acts. She's still the nominee. She's still up there. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. 
Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So just to wrap up this Stone Manning, this nominee by Biden, back in 1989, they write, Stone Manning directly supported the terrorist group's tree spiking activities. Now, tree spiking involves driving spikes or nails into the trunks of trees before they're cut down. The spikes can splinter upon impact with a logger's chainsaw or a sawmill blade, sending out shards of flying metal. The aim is to maim or kill lumber industry workers or damage equipment. Tree spiking is a felony in many states across America, including Oregon, Washington, Indiana, and Maine. Stone Manning partook in one of these sabotages in 1989 by helping send an anonymous letter to the U.S. Forest Service threatening, quote, a total of 500 pounds of spikes measuring 8 to 10 inches, unquote, awaited loggers in an Idaho forest where a cutting project was to take place. Now, of course, Stone Manning's apologist may portray the warning letter as an act of heroism, suggesting she opposed the action, but the letter, in fact, was part of the plan, according to her own admission. This woman was nominated to head the Bureau of Labor Management, which is part of the Interior Department, which oversees 25 to 30% of the nation's landmass. And her nomination is pending. Her nomination is pending. So the Democrats pardon and release from prison terrorists who've attacked the Capitol building, I mean literally, have shot people and have ignited bombs. Literally. And Joe Biden has the nerve today to say that officers were killed during the January 6th insurrection. By the way, I believe these officers should get the Congressional Gold Medal, but I believe all officers should have been recognized as such, including in Portland, including in Seattle, including in New York, including in Philadelphia and Atlanta and Minneapolis and so forth and so on. So many acts of heroism, you can't count them all. But that's not Joe Biden. No. No. So they'll exploit this. Now why do I say exploit it? Because they, they never talk about what took place in these other cities, ever. They never denounce what took place in these other cities, ever. There was a police precinct that was burned down. And others that were targeted. They were trying to burn them down with police officers in them. Not a word. Nothing. But what do you expect? These people despise the cops. They despise the electoral college, which they pretend to defend. They seek to destroy the Republican Party and any opposition as a result of their For the People Act. They don't believe a damn thing they say, except when they believe it. But there was Billy Evans, actually murdered. Actually murdered. As close to the grounds of the Capitol building as you can get. Not a word about him. No police officer was killed on January 6th. None. Ashley Babbitt was killed, and that's all the big secret. All right, I needed to address this. Because Biden is out there doing his thing. 
Biden's out there doing his thing. All right, let's go to some of these other issues here because they're important. One of the things that they have found now in this massive phony infrastructure bill, over $1 trillion, is $65 billion to improve Internet access for poor and isolated communities. Sounds pretty good, right? Does that sound pretty good? Well, just so you know, these massive cable and Internet companies stand to gain from broadband funding and infrastructure bill. This is the title in the Wall Street Journal piece. These corporatists always have their hand in the till, and that's why they back the Democrats and the American Marxists, because they see dollar signs, among other things. The $1 trillion infrastructure bill moving through the Senate this week stands to be a windfall for cable and fiber optic internet companies with $65 billion allocated to improve internet access for poor and isolated communities. The plan, which must still be reconciled with the House version, would help home internet providers such as AT&T and Charter Communications by providing $40 billion in grants that states can dole out to operators that expand their networks to households that lack high-speed service. That's incredible. Shocking, really. Disgusting. Disgusting. We're going to go into massive debt and massive tax increases, and you're going to subsidize, among others, AT&T, which owns, of course, CNN. You aware of this? Now you're aware of this. What else did we find in this magnificent infrastructure bill that this jackass Cassidy senator, Rhino, from Louisiana supports and 17 others. From the Washington Times, Biden's infrastructure bill doubles annual funding for a commission run by Senator Manchin's wife, Joe Manchin, a moderate from West Virginia, a key swing vote. Harris Alec, Mr. Biden's legislation greatly expands funding for the Appalachian Regional Commission, ARC, the federal agency which is responsible for promoting economic development of the 13 states that make up Appalachia is led by Mr. Manchin's wife, Gail. So they're both on the dole. Also tucked into the bill is an obscure line that amounts to a massive carve-out for Biden's Buy America pledge and would allow federal agencies to offshore some jobs funded by the uh, package. But the agency... Or the entity that Manchin's wife, Gail, runs and oversees would get double the funding. You think this is just for streets and roads and all the rest of it, folks? Washington is so corrupt. They're such a bunch of lying bastards. It's just unbelievable. And in this, it's so bipartisan. Well, look, we got 18 bipartisan Republicans here. We want to do the bipartisan. Bipartisan. Bipartisan thievery. Bipartisan liars. Any senator, Republican senator who votes for this infrastructure bill should be defeated. They should be primaried. They're playing to the headlines for the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. They want to be seen as reasonable. Bipartisanship in the face of radical extremism is a vice, to paraphrase Barry Goldwater. And with all this other stuff swirling around, as I said the other day, 
The Republicans should be putting their foot on the brake of everything the Democrats want, all the spending they want, until they secure the border. There should be money to build the wall and secure the border. It is an infrastructure bill, after all. But there's all kinds of money for all kinds of pork and crap in this thing, as you might expect. And McConnell's all in. He's all in. Seven of those who are of the 18 Republicans just got reelected. So they're not up for re-election. Three of them are not running again. So 10 of the 18 are untouchable. But the other eight are touchable. The other eight are touchable. And behind this, it's not even 1.2. It's $2 trillion according to the Tax Foundation. You know why? Because they use accounting. It's an amazing thing. They're going after this poor guy that was the CFO of Trump properties. Well, you didn't. You, you, you didn't report uh, the use of a car. Okay, I'll pay the penalty and in interest. I didn't even know. No, 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 you don't understand. We want to send you to prison. What? Meanwhile, look how these fools play with the books. We're talking about tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. I think what that CFO who was working for the Trump property should have said is, hey, look, I was trying to be bipartisan. I'm trying to be bipartisan. I'm trying... Oh, okay, we'll give you a pass. But seriously, these reprobates who get elected to the United States Senate, they mean nothing to me, nothing. Bipartisanship. The Democrats are trying to destroy our country from within in every conceivable way. Oh, we want to be bipartisan with the Democrats. Bipartisan? Out of your friggin' minds? Yes, they are. That's why I said, we cannot rely on the Republican Party or some great political savior. We can have some great statesmen. We have to rely on ourselves to get our country back. It's that simple. We're going to have to rely on ourselves. We can't turn to Washington when we despise Washington. We can't turn to politicians when we despise most politicians. And most of them deserve to be despised. What do you think the founding fathers, what do you think, what do you think the people who fought the revolution would say about this? Say, well, you know what, uh, we ought to be bipartisan here. No! What do you think Thomas Paine would say? Oh, a little bit of a bipartisanship as we sink the country? That's a good thing. Sure. No, it's not a good thing. I'm telling you. This book, American Marxism, I talk about we need to have a movement. We have a movement. We have a movement. The word is spreading, and I don't mean just superficially radio or cable or network or we have a movement people say I'm waiting for the tipping point for when the people will act they have no idea what the hell's going on they have no idea that the tipping point has been passed the academic year begins in a few weeks the battle lines are drawn and it's more than that it's more than that. And I hope every one of your kids going to high school and college have this book, American Marxism, under their arm and read. Because you and they need to be the Paul Revere's. It's really simple. 
They have a right to speak in the classroom too. They have a right when they take their essay tests and so forth to write the truth too. They and you have a right to challenge the authoritarians in the classroom and in the administration. Ladies and gentlemen, think about how unbelievable this is. What a magnificent opportunity this is. We didn't ask for this battle. Our backs have been pushed against the wall. Okay, here we are. We didn't ask for that, but we're here. So you and your kids, and by kids I don't mean three-year-olds, you and your college-bound or college-age kids or high school-bound or high school-age kids, you're at the precipice of your own revolution. You can say, no, this is what we're teaching our kid. No, this is what we believe. No, you don't get to indoctrinate my children. You're going to teach critical race theory. We're going to throw you out. We're going to challenge you legally. We're going to challenge you administratively. But we're going to do more than that. We're going to challenge your ideas. We're going to challenge you on the substance. Here, this is what we're reading, and this is what we're going to read. This is the textbook I've given my kid right here. I'm quite serious about this. Very serious. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. You see, folks, it's the fault of the Republicans that we have the virus spreading in the United States. They don't control the Senate. They don't control the House. They don't control the White House. They don't control the bureaucracy, the border. So it's the Republicans' fault. You got it? Which is why it it just shocks me how passive and impotent these Republicans are. You know, what's interesting to me is the Republican leadership, say what you will, is far more onto this than the Senate leadership. They've had to deal with Nancy Pelosi and her totalitarianism. They are much more aggressive in confronting this. The Republican leadership in the Senate is just sickening. It's absolutely appalling as far as I'm concerned. And I always want to be right, so I want to make a correction. Mr. Producer tells me Billy Evans was mentioned by the president. So I correct myself and apologize. Billy Evans was mentioned in passing, as uh, the president noted the family there. But I don't believe he actually spoke about how Billy Evans died, did he, Mr. Producer? Yeah, we're going to look again. We don't think so. Now, that would be an odd thing, don't you think? If you're going to talk about domestic terrorism, a member of Nation of Islam murdering a police officer, it seems to me kind of relevant, but I guess not. So much going on in this country. It's so painful. I've got all this. Well, let's, let's start right here. Steve Portnoy at CBS. I remember when Stephen Portnoy, Mr. Bedusa, was with ABC. You remember him? He was actually quite good. I think he was the bureau chief for a while in Washington, but he was actually a straight shooter. I kind of liked the guy. But he's with CBS, and he has a question for Jen Psaki today. Cut one, go! 
One more question on the eviction moratorium. I'll approach it this way. Uh, the president may support the legal justification, but he also publicly gave voice to doubts about the constitutionality. What's the White House's message then to Americans who heard what happened yesterday, heard what was said at this podium on Monday, mm -hmm. can't square the two and are now disappointed that the president is signaling that he it doesn't respect the rule of law? No, and the president doesn't. He doesn't respect the Supreme Court or the rule of law, neither do the uh, nut jobs who surround him. And that's why uh, we have this moratorium going on, which says if you want to be a squatter, you can be a squatter and screw the landlords. Go ahead. Sure, there are Americans evaluating it to that degree. Maybe there are some you've talked to. I don't know what the president has. She is a snarky, a snarky person, isn't she, Mr. Producer? I'm, I'm not sure there are Americans evaluating to. No, we're so stupid. No, 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 no. We're so stupid. I believe there's going to be a reckoning. You know, people say, there's going to be a racial reckoning? No, 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 no. There is going to be, I strongly believe this, a political reckoning in 2022. I believe there's going to be a reckoning in our schoolhouses, in our colleges and universities. There's going to be a reckoning in our corporate boardrooms. There's going to be a reckoning, all right. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877 I will not be here tomorrow. And um, but I very much want you to listen to the great Doc Washburn and also on Sunday for the full hour. It's Newt Gingrich and me. Newt Gingrich, one of the great elder statesmen. Forget about that. One of the great statesmen for a full hour, not with any other guests. And um, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So I hope you'll join us. Stacey Johnson Cosby, you've probably never heard of her. She was on MSNBC today, which is another reason you probably never heard of her, because nobody watches it. Somebody by the name of Stephanie Rule, who has proven herself to be a complete moron uh, for quite a long time now. And uh, she brought on Stephanie Johnson Cosby, and I think to her shock, this landlord, housing advocate, black woman, said things that must have just caused her two or three brain tissues to really get all twisted up. Let's take a listen. Cut three, go. Will that solve it, Stacey? There's $46 billion allocated for rental assistance. Once it gets through, I mean, you got 26 states that haven't even given out 10% of their money yet. So that's the problem. What government should have done is stayed out of the housing business. They should have... Hold on now. Hold on now. She's billed as landlord, housing, <coughs> excuse me, housing advocate, and a black woman. What government should have done is stay out of the housing business. How do you like that? She must be a white supremacist. 
and a capitalist pig. Go ahead. On getting the rental assistance out into the marketplace. And there's not a problem that it goes into the hand of the landlords. Of course it should, because that is that is who the rent is due to. When a renter lives into the property, lives in the property, nothing is free. So of course it's going to go to the housing provider so that we can in turn turn around and make our mortgage payment and pay to maintain the property. The, the problem is that government, when they shut the economy down, should have immediately made funds available to us to cover the rent for those tenants that they wanted covered. It is not our responsibility to shelter them. And we need to make sure we know that the implications are long-term. Those tenants, when we extend the eviction moratorium, they need to realize that they're still on the hook for the money that is due. And if they can't pay seven or $800 a month now, there's no way at the end of the moratorium, they're going to be able to pay eight, nine or $10,000. Government needs to focus and get all hands on deck today figuring out how to more efficiently get the rental assistance out into the hands of those that need them. And if they would have, instead of spending so much energy on their moratorium and extending that, they need to do what they do best, which is getting that money out to us. Now, isn't that great? Because she understands how the market works. We heard Cori Bush, she stepped on the Capitol steps. Chuck Schumer said if it wasn't for her, the moratorium would never have been extended. And we extended that moratorium, and we violated the Constitution. We violated the Supreme Court's edict. Oh, yes, we did, because we're for the people. And Cori Bush knows. She's a complete a-hole, that Cori Bush, but I digress. So here's this individual, landlord, housing advocate, and an African-American woman, Stacey Johnson Cosby. Meets all the intersectional issues, as the left likes to say. And she said the most important thing the government could have done is stay out of the housing business. Stay out of the housing business. And you've never heard of Stacey Johnson Cosby. Instead, you hear of Cori Bush and AOC and one reprobate after another, one American Marxist after another. With emphasis on the word Marxist and not American, by the way. Way back when, when I wrote a little book called Liberty and Tyranny, I had several paragraphs in that book in which I talked about how the government uses health, safety, and related issues as opportunities to grab power. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And... Um, I explained whether it was Alar, whether it was global cooling or global warming, or whatever it was, the government would always use it as an opportunity to expand its power. Twelve and a half years later, we're hearing the same point that is made. And it's important to make these points. But here's, here's how I differentiate myself, I think, and I think many of you think. It is crucially important to analyze what's taking place. It is crucially important to go back in history and learn from it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's crucially important to understand what we are up against. But here's what frustrates you and me. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? 
I was on Hannity last night. They said, you'll have seven minutes. I got there and they said, you'll have four and a half minutes. Because I think Sean was talking with Mark Meadows about the fact that Mark Meadows was wearing a cowboy outfit in Wyoming. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? Nonetheless, it's very fetching, Mark, I may add. And so I sit there and I'm thinking, I've had enough of this. I don't mean Meadows and Wyoming. No, I've had enough, enough of this. And so I know Biden and his team, if they don't watch Fox, they get transcripts, they get heads up, they get clips. And so I had a message for him and a message for the Republics. And those of you who do have American Marxism, over 700,000 of you right now. 700,000. And you know what's amazing? It's not even mentioned on National Review. And by the way, I could care less. It's not even mentioned on other conservative sites that I ought to mention. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll give a whole list. It's really appalling. Their, their hate, their jealousy, whatever it is. If I were writing about uh, hating Donald Trump, it'd be, look at that, they sold all those books. And here's the thing. The first six chapters, they're not whining, they're informing But the last chapter says, okay, now, now what are we going to do about it? But you'll watch TV, you'll listen to it, the people go on and on and on, because they're not really up for the fight. They're up to talking about the fight. And somebody else has to make it a tipping point moment, and somebody else has to lead the charge, and somebody else. No. As you folks know, when somebody calls here, what are we going to do? I always, what are you going to do? So, just take a short listen to this. Cut 21, go. Joe Biden is the most disastrous president in modern American history. I don't care if it's by design or by the fact that he's dim-witted. It doesn't much matter to me. Uh, It would be like a president when we have uh, a polio vaccine telling everybody to get vaccinated, but inviting people into the country who he knows has polio. No president has ever done this to his own people. This guy is a coward. He buckles to the radical left in his party. He's a fool. The idea that people who are vaccinated are the ones who are going to be punished. It's like the gun owners who are law-abiding are the ones who are going to be punished. It's like the successful people in this country. They're the ones they intend to punish with the tax code. Is there anything going right in this country? Gasoline prices going up, food prices going up, anything going right on this country? The border wide open. You're going to have people flooding into our school districts, flooding into our hospitals. Law enforcement is overwhelmed. Towns are overwhelmed. And let me tell you why he's doing it. Let's be blunt. He wants to turn Texas blue. He wants to turn Arizona blue. This street politician from Wilmington, Delaware, the dumbest man to ever serve in the Senate, the dumbest man to ever be vice president, is now the dumbest man to ever be president. He's got a massive ego. He's a narcissist. He wants to go down in history as the greatest president. He's going to go down in history as the greatest disaster. He's doing more to weaken this country than the communist Chinese could ever pray to do. He could ever pray to do. And moreover, he's justified a federal statute, a Supreme Court decision. He knows that the CDC doesn't have the power to extend these, uh, these moratoriums on rent. He says, we're going to do it anyway, because he listens to this Harvard emeritus professor, Lawrence Tribe. He's just violated the federal constitution. 
Cut 22, please. Go. Now, let me say this. I brought this up on my radio show last week. Uh, Republicans, have you ever heard of the word impeachment? Are you guys going to go down to the border and whine yourselves to death? I know you're not in the majority, but you need to start explaining to the American people. This man just violated a Supreme Court decision. This man is the border wide open in violation of our immigration laws. I mean, you impeach Donald Trump when he's out of office because of a letter. You set up a phony incitement insurrection. This man is doing enormous damage to this country. People with the virus, he knows they have the virus. His government knows they have the virus. They're pushing them into the interior of the country. Now, what kind of a president does that to his own people? If he's not at least going to look out for the health and safety of the American people, then he needs to be removed. I know who's behind him, but the point is that's what impeachment is for. Not for the Democrats to chase every Republican president, but to get rid of this guy. He is a disaster. And again, I don't care if he's dim-witted or just stupid. It doesn't much matter. To allow people into this country—first of all, to tell law-abiding Americans you're going to wear a mask even though you've been vaccinated. Little kids who do not give the virus or get the virus, you're going to be wearing masks because the NEA and the AFT told me to do so. Isn't it time to remove this, well, isn't it time to remove this guy from the Oval Office or at least make an effort? So you tough guy Republicans who come on here, you tough guy Republicans on radio, how about it? The I word, impeachment, let's start to talk about it. Or the 25th Amendment, it'll never happen, but let's start to talk about it. He's doing more damage to this country, as far as I'm concerned, than any single one of our enemies. Well, there you have it, in the four and a half minutes or so that I had. There's so much that you and I, that we can do, that I explain in American Marxism in the last chapter. One of the biggest things you can do is acquire the book and read it and give it to your college-bound kids. The academic year is starting right now. And your high school kids, give it to them. So they're armed with information so that they can affect people around them. It ought to be a textbook in these schools. It'll never be a textbook in these schools. But I'm telling you, we're at the precipice of our own revolution. We can decide in part what's going to be brought to our own schools and to our classrooms and to discussion and start with American Marxism. Why not? What can they do? What can they do if hundreds of thousands of college kids or hundreds of thousands of high school students show up and say, I I want to talk about this book. Okay, but you're going to learn critical race. Okay, fine, but I, I want to talk about this book and critical race theory that's discussed in this book. we got to sit around and for the 1619 Project, pushed by the New York Times, the Holocaust-denying New York Times? Or we got to sit around and read books by these racists, these Marxists, who are pushing all this, this, this horrific Louis Farrakhan stuff dressed up as scholarship? Well, why can't we use our own books? Why can't we push our own agendas? That's what I'm encouraging you to do. And as for the Republicans in Washington, there are some very good ones. And I'll tell you, I, yes, I'm impressed with much of the leadership in the House, the Senate, is a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. And I want to encourage the Republican leadership in the House to start using the impeachment word. What's going on in the border is an impeachable offense. A president of the United States contravening a Supreme Court order, a legitimate, a correctly issued Supreme Court order, is impeachable. 
Forget about a letter with a sentence that's being twisted and, and a lie about an incitement for an insurrection. These are facts, tangible, concrete facts. I'll be right back. Lovin. I want to thank my buddy Dan Bongino. He is a real class act. I understand he played the clip on his show today. And that's what's needed for those of us who have substantial audiences. And he's a patriot. He's mission-oriented. Sean's a patriot. He's mission-oriented. So many of our talk show friends are. Now, there's some who aren't, too. They're very self-focused. But you understand. I am mission-oriented with this book. You have never heard me talk about a book like this, ever. Ever. I am mission-oriented. And I know so many of you are receptive to that because you want to be mission-oriented, too. It's crucial that we communicate with each other. But it's crucial that we take the next step. It's crucial we take the next step. So in this, in some cases, it's very limiting. People behind a microphone or a camera, they're not really sure how to get there. I'm 100% sure. Because I was mission-oriented and an activist long before I ever had a microphone. Long before I ever had a camera in my face. Can I tell you something? Now, it's probably a little embarrassing, but it's okay. When I was 13 years old, that's 50 years ago, actually almost 51 years ago, I wrote an outline for a book. I never told anybody this, I don't think. And I had a title for the book. I was going through boxes a couple months ago, and I came across it called Cause for Alarm cause for alarm. I've since learned there's been books called cause for alarm, but I was 13, I certainly didn't know that. We didn't have the internet or any of those things. I had a manual typewriter. And this little piece of whiteout stuff, you know, when you made a mistake and so it was quite different back then. But I wrote it. It must have been, Mr. Debusser, about, it wasn't a complete book, but it was an outline and some writings about 30 pages long. That was significant for a 13-year-old. The war on capitalism. And I discussed it at some length. I heard this guy, Ronald Reagan, speak, a Pennsylvanian. I didn't know a lot about Ronald Reagan. His acting days, I mean, for the most part, I wasn't even around. He was from California, he was a governor, elected in 66. I was pretty young in 1966. But I became active at the precinct level when I was 13 again, supporting conservatives. I read Bill Buckley, Milton Friedman, Alexis de Tocqueville, Adam Smith, all I could get. Liberty. Like so many of you, it burns inside of me. Like so many of you. And everything I've done in my life professionally, I have attempted to fuse it with this, this mission. 
to not just defend our liberty, but to expand our liberty. And we are confronting something today I have never confronted, and most of you have never confronted. You are staring into the eyes of totalitarianism. That's why I'm on the mission to get as many people to read American Marxism as possible. That's the truth. a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. How's about we take a couple of calls, ladies and gentlemen? I say yes. Let's see. Let us go to Frank, Panama City Beach. Panama City Beach. Is that the place? Panama City Beach, Florida, XM Satellite. Frank, how are you? I sure hope it's a place. That's where I live. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? Great one. I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. Yes. uh, Yes, this is very important. Something I... I'm a pilot, and I have friends that are pilots all over the country. And one of them, um, he lives near El Paso, Texas. And he sent me this alert that, uh, and I tracked it, it is, it is true, that uh, you know, Joe Biden's department is sending a bunch of illegals to Jacksonville, Florida, to land tonight at 12.05 a.m. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they are definitely putting them all over the place. You know, Ron They seem to be targeting uh, red states and purple states. Yes, they re- they w- they want to turn Texas. They want to turn Arizona, and of course, they want to turn Georgia, which is on the uh, cusp. And then they want to turn Florida. They do any of that combination, and it's over. And they know it. And that's why they're they're frauds and they're phonies and they're lying about what's going on down there. That's why the media are covering for them and pretending otherwise, other than a few real uh, standout. Outstanding journalists, but uh, they're the exception. They're certainly not the rule. So this is all about empowering the Democrat Party the way you would empower a communist party. It's all about one-party rule. The media are all for one-party rule. And that's what's taking place. Everything Biden and the Democrats are doing about empowering them. Right. All right, my friend. Uh, What's that? Yeah, Ron DeSantis, right. the greatest governor in Florida, you know, he barely won our state to a meth head. All right, I'm well aware of the race, and he's the greatest governor, one of the greatest in the country, not just Florida. All right, Frank, don't, excuse me, don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Let's continue. Let's go to Taylor, Raleigh, North Carolina, on the Mark Levin app. Taylor, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. Good evening. I want to first say thank you for what you do, and thank you for your book, American Marxism. Thank you. Appreciate I want that. To share an, yeah, I want to share an experience with you in the audience uh, that was inspired by your book, most notably the last chapter. Over the past year, I noticed my alma mater hired a chief diversity officer and changed a lot of language on their website to include the word equity. So I called this chief diversity officer, and I asked if critical theory in any form or the 1619 project was being taught at this university and was careful not to share my position on the subject so to avoid the answers being tainted. After he shared his answers, which were all no, shared with him that I felt uncomfortable continuing to make donations to this university if they they didn't change the words equity on their website to equality 
and asked him why they chose equity and not equality. His answer was, I don't know. And uh, as a result of this conversation we had, it's been two days, and I logged on to check the website today and found that all the references had been changed from equity to equality. Very I wanted good. to share this with you and my fellow patrons because while this was a small victory, I think all victories in this movement matter. And to Shapiro's point on your show the other day, I think it matters what universities advertise and how these Marxists communicate with one another with words like equity as opposed to equality. I agree 100%. Very, very good. And keep at it. Now keep chipping away at them. And one of the great powers we have, of course, is to deny them funds. They want to build their endowments. Uh, and I say in the back of the book, as you know, uh, not only should we not contribute to them, but we ought to start contacting donors and letting them know what these universities and colleges are doing to our country. Thank you. Do not hang up, Taylor. We want to send you a signed copy. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jeff, Chicago, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead, please. Hello, Mark. Uh, thank you for taking my call. We really appreciate everything you do. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, my concern with, with the area that I'm in is that too many people don't feel it's real with the immigration crisis and, and, and the way they're being bussed all over the country. They don't, it hasn't hit home yet. They don't, they don't believe it. And my, my. Well, what do they need to believe it? All you have to do is turn on Fox and it's right in front of your face. I, oh, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But too many people do not do that and they don't have open minds to understand what's going on. My, my, All right, let me, let, me, let me stop you there, honestly. If you're trying to open somebody's mind over and over and they won't open their mind, move on to the next person. Yeah. Move on to the next person because we only have so much time in the day and so much time in our lives. We are at, uh, we are at ground zero here. And if you're dealing with ignoramuses who won't watch what's taking place or won't open their mind, there are people who are on the cusp. And there's also people who agree with us who will not act. And these are the people we need to get to. Remember what I've said. The Revolutionary War was fought with one-third one third of the population actually fighting and supporting the war. So we can't spend all our time on people who simply, who simply resist common sense. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work, move on. Because people say, what do I do about them? What I just said, move on. I can't tell you to somehow to shake them, and all of a sudden they'll say, okay, I'm open-minded. It's not going to work. Go ahead. Um, well, just, just, one, just one moment. My suggestion was, was it be nice if there'd be some way to develop some kind of way where we could identify, say, these buses leaving Texas and be able to identify them uh, and just pass them off. And, and well, when you say we identify them, how would you actually manifest this? Well, yeah, I'm just Who's going to go down, to, sir, who is going to go down to Mission, Texas and start tracking the buses among us? I can't, I don't have time to do it. Are you going to do that? In order to convince your friends that it's really happening. The problem in this country is people know it's really happening and they don't know what to do about it. That's quite a different question. But if you're telling me tracking the buses as opposed to seeing 8,000 people under a bridge, that will convince people that it's taking place, uh, you and I have a disagreement. I don't know who these people are that you're talking to, but it's right in front of our faces. It's not 100 years ago. You can see it on TV. It's right there. 
And tracking buses, I don't think, is going to convince anybody about anything if they're not willing to look at what's taking place. How about the pictures of people coming across the Rio Grande? Will that convince them? I, I believe that, and I understand that. That is totally real to me, sir. Yes. I know, but if I say, look at them, they're coming across the Rio Grande, I don't believe it. But look at them, they're getting in the buses, let's track it, and they'll believe it? I don't believe that. So what I'm saying is, to some extent, people who pretend it's not happening are a lost cause. And I know this is hard for people to hear, because they want to believe, they want to believe, they can convince. No, we have got to be strategic about what we're doing. We have got to be strategic. I have no expectation that we're going to convince activists in Black Lives Matter of anything. I have no expectation that we're going to convince the media of anything. We've got to go around them, under them, on top of them. We've got to communicate with other Americans who may not have access, other Americans who haven't heard things that we have to say, other Americans who are just looking for, for others to support and to join. We have to be smart about our time and about what we're doing. Thank you for your call, my friend. We're going to send you a uh, signed copy of American Marxism. You can see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to be a Pollyanna. I'm like, yeah, good idea. Good. No, because it's not going to happen. And besides, I don't understand how that will convince anybody of something. And who's going to track the buses? None of us. None of us. If we can get somebody to do it, the gentleman said, well, we're not going to get somebody to do it. But there are other things we can do and mobilize to do. To track buses, to convince five people it's really happening, I think that's, uh, that's probably not the best use of our time. Rick, New York City, Sirius Satellite. How are you, Rick? Go right ahead, please. I want to thank you. Thank you for all you do, Mark. So I want to ask, is it irony that the, rep- that the reprobate in the White House, Joe Xerox, nominates a terrorist to run BLM? Yeah, I think there's something strange about it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, the... Uh, Look at all know, the radicals. Look at all the radicals. I mean, he has taken the most radical elements out of these American Marxist movements. You know, Bill O'Reilly did a really good interview with me, I thought. And he asked very legitimate questions. He said, do you think Joe Biden, to something to the effect, memory uh, lapses sometimes, thinks that he's a Marxist? I said, I don't care what Joe Biden thinks he is. Joe Biden is an individual who is transforming America, who is enshrining the, the, the positions, the major fundamental positions of these American Marxist movements. And so while he may not want to be called an American Marxist, by the fundamental understanding of what an American Marxist is, and notice I didn't call the book Marxism, I called it American Marxism, of course he is. He's into the, the, um, the victim Victor, he's into the oppressed oppressor, he's into class warfare. You hear how he speaks with Jim Crow and all the rest of it, how he lies through his teeth. He is quintessential. And we've got to have the guts to say it. Truly do. Rick, don't hang up, my friend. I want to send you a signed copy as well. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. After giving out the, uh, what is it, the, the Congressional Gold Medal, 
to an entire police force, the Metropolitan Police Force and another entire police force, the Capitol Hill Police Force. And I have no problem with that. I just wish all police forces would get that. The Attorney General of the United States, you may not have heard this, had a press conference today. And I've warned you that what he's trying to do is nationalize local police departments. Now, since he's been Attorney General, he's now about to nationalize the third one. Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona, it's your turn. Cut seven, go. Today we are announcing that the Justice Department is opening an investigation into the city of Phoenix and the Phoenix Police Department. The investigation will determine whether the Phoenix Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of violations of the Constitution or federal law. This is the third pattern or practice investigation I have announced as Attorney General. Each time, I have noted that these investigations aim to promote transparency and accountability. This increases public trust, which in turn increases public safety. We know that law enforcement... Ah, shut up, you schmo! You jerk! I know exactly what the hell you're doing, and you know investigates... The Civil Rights Division, which wouldn't investigate Cuomo or the other Democrat governors for killing nursing home uh, patients. Now, you know who heads the Civil Rights Division? A bigot. Her name is Clark. Look it up. I know exactly what's going on here. I used to be chief of staff at the uh, Department of Justice. They are trying to nationalize these local police forces. Maybe not in name, but in practice. While Joe Biden's handing out congressional gold medals. Unbelievable. Go ahead. Cut eight, please. Cut eight. Go. Our investigation in Phoenix will be led by the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. It is based on the division's extensive review of publicly available information, and it will consider several issues. In other words, a pretext of some thin kind. Go ahead. The Phoenix Police Department uses excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment. I don't know. It seems to me your FBI uses excessive force. Maybe even the U.S. Marshals seem to use excessive force when they're raising, uh, arresting trespassers on the Capitol grounds. No, Mr. Producer? What kind of crap is this? What kind of crap is this? Handing out congressional gold medals with one hand and undermining, destroying, and nationalizing local police forces with the other. Go ahead. Whether the Phoenix Police Department engages in discriminatory policing practices. Oh, that would be you, you jerk. Go ahead. Constitution and federal law. Third, whether the department violates the First Amendment by retaliating against individuals who are engaged... This is just a setup. He says whether they violate the Americans with Disabilities Act, whether they violate uh, jaywalking, uh, whether they're uh, giving out too many parking tickets. I'm just adding that. So this is a massive investigation of another police department, the third one. Mr. Bidou, let's see if we can invite Merrick Garland on the program. I'm quite serious. I won't be here tomorrow, but let's let's invite any day next week. Any day next week. Let's see if Merrick Garland will come on the program. Why not? Why not, former judge? This includes whether decisions to criminally detain individuals with behavioral health disabilities are proper. 
what they've done is they said the Civil Rights Division has jurisdiction for these 15 things, and we're going to investigate Phoenix for these 15 things. Now, let me tell you the effect this has on a police department. It's all bad. It's all bad. Now, they have to spend time going through their files. They have to spend time providing the Civil Rights Division with whatever it wants. And the woman who runs the Civil Rights Division is a racist. She's part of the critical race theory crowd. And Republicans voted for her to confirm her for this position. So this is now the third police department that they brought under the Department of Justice. And the radicalized Civil Rights Division. So Phoenix, I wish you well. I wish you well. Maybe one of your two Democrat senators will actually stand up for Phoenix. I doubt it. This is Merrick Garland who wanted to be on the Supreme Court. Can you imagine? No wonder Obama had nominated him. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, friend of mine, Spiridon, sent me an email that contained a tweet, because, you know, I'm not on Twitter or Facebook. I want nothing to do with them. And it was a tweet by... Ibram X. Kendi. Remember him, Mr. Producer? Remember him, America? He's like an associate professor of something or other, and he's making a fortune with his book on race. That is, those racist white people. uh, On giving seminars and giving speeches. I mean, unbelievable. But listen to this. This explains a lot. To celebrate the 40th birthday of my friend Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, I'm donating 40 minutes of mentorship time to a woman re-entering the workforce. Will you join me? Hashtag 40 by 40, hashtag compassion in action. Now this struck me as very interesting. The 40th birthday of my friend Meghan Markle. So Meghan Markle, you see, is down for the critical race theory revolution. No wonder she hates the royals. But he calls her the Duchess of Sussex. Is that not kind of odd? Is that not like the epitome of white racism right there? White domination? And then the arrogance. He's donating 40 minutes of mentorship time to a woman re-entering the workforce. Didn't that strike you as weird, Rich? I'm donating 40 minutes of my time to educate Meghan Markle on what a spoiled brat she is. And I will try to help her with a dose of reality. 40 minutes for free. Free. Now that said, uh, I thought this was interesting. Ibram X. Kendi 
And he wants the whole world to know he is friends with the Duchess of Sussex. And he was friends with her before she obviously re-entered the workforce. All these people are such frauds. It's just unbelievable. Such hypocritical frauds. Well, let's add to our list of invitees, Mr. Producer. Would you invite Ibram K. Kendi onto the program? Ibram, excuse me, X. Kendi. Have we ever asked him before? I think we did. I think you were ignored. Now, we want to talk to Ibram X. Kendi about his book and my book. Or if we can pick one, I'll just talk to him about his book. I read your book, your last book. Ibram X. Kendi. I mean, I understand I'm not Joy Reid. I mean, that's quite obvious. I'm not Joy Reid, but we could have a great discussion, don't you think, ladies and gentlemen? Because he's so much smarter than I am. Oh, there's no question about that. Let us look at the United Nations for a moment. May we do this? Because our Secretary of State, uh, Nincompoop Binken, he believes that the UN, particularly the Human Rights Committee at the UN, should be investigating racism in America. This is a sick bastard. I mean, man. We have a report. <coughs> Excuse me. UN-funded Palestinian teachers promote anti-Semitism, glorified jihad, terrorism. I wonder if Joe Biden's aware of this. I wonder if he's aware of this. UNRWA, it's called UNRWA. UNRWA school teachers, principals, and other staffers who openly support terrorism and anti-Semitism by Vegeta Unayal. New report compiled by the UN Watch revealed systemic anti-Semitism prevalent among Palestinian teachers hired by the United Nations. A 60-page report documents occasions where teachers employed by the UN Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, for Palestine refugees celebrated Israeli deaths at the hands of terrorists and indoctrinated children in jihad warfare ideology. This is kind of right up uh, Talib's uh, alley here. UNRWA, which receives hundreds of millions of U.S. tax dollars, employs school teachers, principals, and other staffers who openly support terrorism and anti-Semitism. They expose Palestinian children and youth to terrorist propaganda and align classrooms to become places of jihadist indoctrination. I wonder if the squad has a problem with this, a.k.a. the cabal of Marxist, Hamas-supporting, Castro-supporting, American-hating anti-Semites. Instead of acting on past complaints indicating widespread Jew hatred in the organization, the UN agency refuses to take action against perpetrators. The report concluded that UNRWA has a very high tolerance for anti-Semitism. Imagine that. And they published some of the highlights of the report. You can find this on marklevinshow.com, the mothership of websites. Where we place all of our source material. So you can go there and check it out, too. I think it's important. And look at this. Liz Warren. May I call you Liz? I think I will. Senator Elizabeth Warren promotes abortion to teenage audience. And why not? We're promoting transitioning, all kinds of stuff. This is from our friends at the Millennial site. Senator Elizabeth Warren insisted in an interview with Teen Vogue 
Teen Vogue, that's like a girl's, kid, teenage girl's magazine. They, you know, they used to talk about the clothes you wear, the makeup. and all. No, 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 no. I mean, I used to buy that for my daughter. Uh, in an interview with Teen Vogue, uh, she said that voting rights and access to abortion are closely related. Did you know this, folks? I think we're going to see an HR2 and an S2 soon, which is when you go to vote, you can vote and then go next door and get an abortion. Sure. She says they're about the functioning of our democracy and about the protection of personal anonymity. Now, I touched on this last night. Personal anonymity. Remember, they follow the science. So we know from science, our science is so advanced, we know from science that these are babies, that they have brains that they have feelings, that abortion is torture to a baby. Torture. Particularly late-term abortions. This is why I despise these people. I'm not allowed to say hate, I suppose, but I do hate them. I'll, I'll say despise. It sounds a lot more, you know, Ivy League. I despise these people the kind of inhumanity that they promote in the name of humanity, whether it's the border and what's going on there, whether it's the destruction of home ownership by going after landlords and pushing people out to the street. I've said this several times, and just to emphasize the point, we shut down this government for three days, and it's like it's the end of the world. You shut down our economy for six months, and it's righteous. It's righteous. It's a wonderful thing. You deny the teachers' unions and their members a pay increase. You're horrific. They sit out the entire year, and then some of them make these outrageous demands, and they're righteous. Oh, my goodness. The progressive senator, she's not a progressive senator. She's a Marxist. Damn it, can we get this language right? Who's also come out in favor of... Here's the thing. Make them defend themselves. Make them... Stop calling them by the names they want to be called. Progressive. If you take politics out of it, progressive is an okay word. I believe in progress. Oh, good. You're progressive. Yes, I am. And then they steal the language and we allow them to do it. These conservative sites and commentators need to stop. Don't be afraid. I'm taking the lead. Don't sweat it out there in radio and TV land. Don't sweat it out there on website land. She's not a progressive. She's not a progressive about anything. She's a throwback. The Marxist, the American Marxist senator, who's also come out in favor of transgender individuals with male biology competing in women's sports. She's a nut. Anything that comes across the radar, she's going to embrace if she thinks it's going to empower the Democrat Party. And while I'm on that subject, my God, the American Medical Association. Let me tell you a little secret. Most medical schools are as rotten as every other school. I saw it firsthand. The ideology that they push, these future doctors who buy into this crap, 
It's everywhere. It's not just law school. It's not just educational departments. It's not just uh, uh, journalism uh, departments in our college and universities. It's not just law schools. It's medical schools. Radical kooks. And in many of the cases, in order to get in, they ask you, are you LGBTQ? Uh, Do you support Trump? Oh, yeah, I'm telling you the truth. And the former is good, and the latter, of course, is, is, uh, is the death bill. AMA, the Corner National Review, AMA to urge end of sex ID on all birth certificates. The American Medical Association. Board of Trustees just passed a resolution that will have the AMA lobbying to end the designation of sex in all future birth certificates. I don't know about you, but if doctors are not going to recognize the difference between a male and a female, how are they going to know who gets a pap smear? And uh, who gets their prostate checked, Mr. Producer? So the medical community is now regressing. Just wear a mask. I guess we should wear a mask over our genitals. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Professor Paul Kengar, Grove City, is one of the top experts on communism, on the old Soviet Union, on the Cold War. Professor, how are you, my friend? We had you on the, the Fox show the other night, and you were superb as always. And uh, I want to dig into oh, this you, with you. Well, with my you. pleasure. I want to dig into this a little bit because people will say, now, wait a minute. Are you saying that these corporations are Marxists, and this is Marxist, and that's Marxist? And I've discussed it. You've discussed it. We're not talking about the old Soviet Union. We're talking about something different. Explain what what we mean. Explain what you mean. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in the 1930s, right, 1930s, 1940s, if you were in Communist Party USA, you quite literally put your hand in the air and you said this, I pledge myself to rally the masses to defend the Soviet Union. Right? I pledge myself to remain a vigilant and firm defender of the Leninist line of the party, the only line that ensures the triumph of Soviet power in the United States. Right. So so in other words, in the 30s and 40s, if you were in the Hollywood 10, if you were Alger Hiss, if you were Earl Browder, later on Gus Hall, the Rosenbergs in the 1950s, you swore loyalty oath to, to Stalin's Soviet Union. And what we have today is they're not doing that. I, I mean, today's American Marxists, which is why I think with this, this brilliant title of, of your book, I think you may have bailed this even more than, than, than you realized. Uh, I, this is a unique American brand of Marxism. It's American-born. It's American-fashioned. You know, the strain or strains of it is something that – History heretofore has people have never seen before. So, so this is really unique. And and you say in your book, you say there's been an Americanized adaptation of Marxism, and and I think this puts puts it exactly right, which takes Marx Marx's core precepts and contextualizes them to our American system. And here here's really the dangerous part, and this is what a lot of people don't get. So so they contextualize them to the American system, like you say, Mark. 
in order to effectively overthrow the system. And, and, and that actually is something that's not new. So these people in the 30s and 40s, they would hide behind the Fifth Amendment. They would they formed front groups with names like the Committee on the First Amendment. And you would just pull your hair out. Congress would, right? You're like, First Amendment, Fifth Amendment, the first thing you guys are going to do is throw out the U.S. Constitution. What are you talking about? Exactly. And, and a lot of these guys and gals today, yeah, you know, they, it's the same thing. So, so they're taking the Marxist framework. And they're using it in, in a way that seems, in, at least in their rendering of it, right, you know, American and about rights and civil liberties and, and so forth. But, but it's, it's in order to undermine the existing system. And, and yes, that's American Marxism today. And these movements have been invented, tailored, promoted by Marxists. And they've been looking for the imperfections, the gaps in American society and a way of marketing these, these uh, views uh, to attract as many people as they can. And, of course, they have near-monopoly control of our colleges and universities, obviously not Grove City or Hillsdale or a handful of others, but the rest. Uh, and they have near-monopoly control over the textbooks, over the coursework, over the seminars, over the hiring of teachers and so forth. So I've been saying, and I mean this, Paul, I'm curious, Take American Marxism with you. If, when you're, if you're going to college, if you're going to a university, take this book with you. We, I think, are on the precipice of our own intellectual revolution. No, no college or university is going to say you're to read Marx's book. It's the opposite. They don't, you know, they, they're going to pretend it doesn't exist. But if students bring it and students start to talk about it, and students start to share it, we can, in, in effect, spread or attempt to spread the counter-message and the counter-arguments ourselves on these college campuses. What are they going to do? Round us all up? Your thoughts. You're a college professor. Right. Yeah, and, and I, quite literally, 99% of American colleges are just like that, right? You know, mine, Grove City College, you know, Hillsdale. You know, we're part of maybe 20 or 30 that are safe places to send your kids. And, and in a lot of these places where they push these Marxist ideas, Mark, they, they don't even have the students read the Communist Manifesto. I, I know that because I, I've spoken to many of those places. I'll get invited by the local YAF chapter or ISI chapter, and I'll get there and I'll bring the Communist Manifesto and I'll quote from it. And you could tell, you could just see the scales falling from their eyes. I mean, they've never, they've never heard this before, right? You know, Marx and Engels, the entire communist theory may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. It, it, when, once they hear these ideas, they, they usually don't like them. And, and you know, in your book, you quote Eric Hoffer, who wrote a great book, I, I think almost 70 years ago, called The True Believer. And, and Hoffer said that Marxism was a mass movement that, that depicts the present as mean and miserable. And, and, and if it's not mean and miserable, then they try to make it mean and miserable, right? They breed contempt for the present. And, and as you note in quoting Hoffer, you know, these, these movements were pushed by deeply flawed individuals with deeply flawed ideas. All right, Professor Kengor. If you can, I'd like to hold you over so we can continue this discussion into the next segment, my friend. We'll be right back. The 
new American revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Grove City's Professor Kengor. And you wrote a few weeks back, like Mark, excuse me, like Marx writes Levin in one of the book's most trenchant paragraphs, the critical race theory proponents deal in group stereotypes and prejudices whether talking about perpetrators or victims based on race, etc. Assumptions are made about individuals grounded on their, I wrote this and you cite it, grounded on their physical, religious, ancestral, other characteristics. But human beings are more than racial beings, just as they are more than economic beings. And the Marxist ideology preaches a monumental and deadly distortion of man's nature. Individuals are complex and complicated, unique and spiritual. They are influenced by innumerable events, circumstances, motivations, desires, interests, etc. And then you say, of course, adds Levin, this is not to say that individuals in the larger society are unaffected by racial and other such distinctions. But as I say, but not to the exclusion of and not through the sole lens of a host of other human influences. In other words, what I'm saying there is we embrace the Declaration of Independence. We embrace faith in God. We embrace natural rights and the nature of man. And Marx rejects it all. Isn't that true, Professor? Well, that's absolutely right, Mark. And, and I mean, look, America, as Ronald Reagan said, America is less of a place than an idea, right? It's, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. a, being an American is, is truly about being an American, about those ideas of 1776 that the country was founded upon and you know we are we are a nation of individuals right individuals made in the image of god that's the judeo-christian framework the imago dei made in the image of god children of, of, a, of a loving god and what marxism did what karl marx did was put everybody in categories everybody in groups according to class according to economics and, and it's, it's funny, one of the most uh, vicious sections of, of any of Karl Marx's writings was, was a manuscript he did called On the Jewish Question. And it's mm. really, really anti-Semitic. He was, he was also, he was a racist as well. And the things that he says about Jews, and he was Jewish, right, uh, accuses Jews of being obsessed with money and obsessed with haggling and all this other stuff. And you, and you read Marx and you say, oh, wait a second, Carl, you are obsessed with money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's all you think about. You know, all you think about. To I mean, it is called own. material historicism for a reason. Anyway, go right ahead. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I mean, the alpha and the omega is class, 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 right? Economics, mm-hmm. economics, economics. Individuals are not individuals. They are put into groups. And, and indeed, well, you know, like you say, you know, life is more complicated than that, right? I mean, individuals come from different religious backgrounds, ancestral, ethnic backgrounds. I mean, you know, they, they're complex and complicated, unique and spiritual. And, and what happens today with the modern Marxists in America, and I think this is what, where your book is really crucial, is in the 21st century, you have this whole new brand or breed or strain or strains of Marxists that are that are putting everybody in groups again and this time it's by gender it's by race i've read cover to cover the the memoirs of catrice colors the founder of black lives matter who by the way mm-hmm. if, if she only knew mark what mark said about blacks she would not call mm-hmm. herself a marxist i can tell you that much but but in her book she does the same thing everybody is in a category and and I, if she met me, she'd probably say, oh, white guy, 
right? It wouldn't ask like, oh, where are you from? What did you do? Where'd you come from? What were your parents like? What are your kids like? Um, what's your favorite sport? What's your favorite music? You know, everybody is just hammered into a category. And, and, and it's, it's an extension of the identity racial politics. And yet it, it's, you have Marxists grabbing racial and identity politics and running it through this Marxist framework or lens. So like you say, um, yeah, of course, individuals and larger society they are affected by some of these things, you know, but not to the exclusion of, and not solely through the lens of, right, a bunch of other human influences. Now, you've read many of my books. You've reviewed some of the books. And I just want you to be, I've never asked you this question. When you finished the book, what, what was at the forefront of your mind? Because I want people who haven't gotten it or people who've gotten it and haven't read it yet you're, you're a scholar on the subject of communism. When you finished it, what, what was at the forefront of your mind? Well, honestly, so, so this was what – this was the, the sense of satisfaction I came away with. I thought, all right, there's guys like me at Grove City College, and I've done probably like 20 different books. And, um, and, and my last book, which was on Marx, Marx's faith or lack thereof, the, the, the Devil and Karl Marx, and it did pretty well. You know, it sold pretty well. I think it sold maybe 40,000 copies, something like that. But – and people don't believe it when, when guys like me and you say this, Mark, but, but we mean it. When we say that, look, I don't care if, if, if somebody would buy 10 million copies of, of our books and give them away – and we didn't make a dime off it, that would be fine as long as people read it, right? As long as people read the book and understand the idea. And by the way, if people saw the donations I made, they would know that I give a lot of money away to things that I believe in. But that's, that's neither here nor there. It's the mission. It's the message. It is. Go it's ahead. It is. It, yeah, it is. It really is. It's the mission. It's the message. And, and I felt so good about what you had written because I thought, you know, with your TV show, with your radio show here, with the platform that you have, I hope literally a million people go out and buy this book because, because people need this. They need this information. They need this intellectual ammunition, if you will, and especially the young people. Because so people are going to say, well, okay, okay, you brought this professor on to sell your book. My question is this, and you know I didn't. My question is this, and I ask people this who read my books, you finished the book, and what did you think, front of mind, that he's on to something about this American Marxism, or, well, you know, it's just another book on Marx, what was it, front of mind, I'm just curious, I hadn't asked, your friend, I didn't ask you this, now I want to know, just tell the truth. Well, I, I'd say that, that uh, you know, just, well, you have classical Marxism, and based on Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, and then you have Marxism today. And these guys are all, again, in the 21st century, like they were in the 20th, like they were in the 19th. I mean, these guys are truly radical revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. They, they are trying to take, they're trying to redefine human nature, human society, the way that people look at one another. And they, by the way, they breed contempt, like you say, and they pit people against one another. They're trying to hammer all of this into an entirely new paradigm of human behavior. Uh, in, in other words, they are truly radical revolutionaries. They're trying to change the very idea 
of what America is and what made America great. Do you do and, you think and, it is stra- do you think it's strange so far before I run out of time? I mean, I think it's still going to come that there hasn't yet been a single hit piece. I think that's coming, but isn't that strange after almost 4 weeks out there? That's it, it, very interesting and I've had that with with some of my books too and I think I think you know you've done a really good job when when you're not seeing those pieces because what they do, if they can attack you for I think it's coming inaccurate information or facts. <clears throat> yeah, they will. They will. But when they're silent, it usually means that they know you're right. So they're responding not by attacking you, but they're responding with silence. And um, I think the silence is a sign of the success of the message, frankly. I really do. And because they can't ignore it. I mean, how many reviews are there on Amazon right now? Probably over 3,000. That's unbelievable. Believe it or not, almost uh, 5,000. And you've been, you've been out in the desert. This book has now sold over 700,000 copies. You believe that? that well, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. That's, that's We're really getting the message out. That's I think, great yeah. because... Go ahead. Well, with, with young people in particular... And people right now that are looking around at what's happening in the country, what happened last summer with the mobs in the streets and so forth, and they're thinking, where do young people come? Where are they getting these ideas? They're getting them from mm-hmm. their universities. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so a response from it is to have more information and more books like this. If kids showed up in your classroom with this book, that would send you a message, not a hostile one for you. Can you imagine if they showed up in classrooms at Harvard or Stanford or Temple University with this book. I mean, this is what I was saying earlier and saying to my beloved audience earlier. You can have an enormous impact on the kinds of books that are brought to the college campus, not just the ones that are assigned. And I think that can make a difference, Professor. Just last comment. Go ahead. Well, I think that's right. And one of the things that you said, too, about Marx that I think is a good takeaway for people is that you noted that, um, that, that the guy was not an economist. He was first and foremost a journalist. And I think maybe most important, you said that Marx was wrong about almost everything. And, and I tell that to my students, too. If you just go and read what the man wrote, it's, it's sophistry. It's complete nonsense. Any business person, anybody in America who picks up the manifesto and starts reading through it, you're immediately going to throw the book at the wall and say, this is absolutely and by, and by the way, it's not even well written. It's written like a street thug when you read the thing. Well, Professor, I want to thank you. Yeah. I want to thank you. You're very, very kind. I wanted people to hear from you rather than me because you're a longtime expert on this sort of thing. And uh, take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. Thank you. I'll take care of myself. I'm good. You, you do right. the same. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm not going to be wearing a mask a lot. I mean, I've been vaccinated, to be quite honest about it. I want to thank Professor Kengor. We'll be right back. Lovin. Come on, folks. We're engaged, baby. We're engaged. Think about where we were, you and me, three, four months ago, right? Don't you feel like we're, we're on the move now? I think we are. I really believe this. I really believe this. 
Think about all the hundreds of thousands of people who are joining us. All right, let's take some calls. Let's go to Dave Bonita Springs, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Dave, how are you, sir? Good evening, the great one. It's such a well, pleasure thank to you. talk to you tonight. Thank you, sir. Just want, just want to share a quick story with you. Yeah. I did pre-order your book before it came out on Amazon. I got an e-copy. I got two hard copies. I gave the two hard copies away. I was out today. I stopped by our local library branch and thought, I'm going to go in and see if they got any of your copies in stock. So I go into the library, and, of course, they're all out. So I asked the librarian, I said, well, how many copies do you folks keep? She says, well, for the whole county, we've got 16. I said, only 16? She says, yeah. I said, well, how many people are on the waiting list? She said, 25. Wow. I said, okay. I said, well, I said, when can they get a copy? She says, well, whenever we get them in, back in, or if we lease more books, we'll put them on the shelves, but we don't know if we, how soon that'll be. Well, that got me to thinking, there's 25 more people that want to read your book that don't have access to your book. So five miles away was our local bookstore, and I asked the librarian, I said, can I donate some copies? She said, yeah, but you can drop them off Monday morning from 9-11 one day a week at the main branch. <laughs> I, hightailed it up to the lo- I hightailed it up to the local bookstore. I picked up 27 copies. They're sitting right now. Monday morning, Monday morning at 9 a.m., they're getting dropped off at the main branch of the library to get cataloged and to get on the shelf and let other the people that really want to read your book They'll, ha- they'll be able to get a phone call and get a copy of it to read. You're amazing. You're amazing, amazing, amazing. I thank you very, very much for that, and uh, I appreciate it very much. So, Dave, don't hang up. We will send you a signed copy, uh, and that's very, very thoughtful of you. Spreading the word is key. That is the key. And, uh, and God bless you, my friend. Everybody can't do that, obviously. But, Dave, I'll tell you what. It's remarkable. Let's keep moving. Jason. I'm not asking for these calls. I'm not asking for a single one of these calls. I'm not involved in screening calls. Jason, Las Vegas, Nevada, the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead. Hello. How are you, Mr. Levin? I'm very well, thank you, Jay. How old are you? 18. I, this is my second time calling. I remembered. I remember you. Yeah, how yeah. are you? I'm doing good. Um, so I'll get right to the point because I want to – I know you're running low on time. So – um, I'm on chapter four of your book. By the way, you manage you manage my clock better than I do. You should be a radio host one day, Jason. Well, that's one reason I wanted to call you today. So I'm on chapter four of your book. I can't wait to yeah. get to chapter seven. And you have inspired me to create an a podcast on my own from the ground up. And I just want to say thank you. Wow, you're going to be a podcaster? Yes. And you're 18 years you, old. You're following in the yeah. footsteps of Ben Shapiro. Yeah. I listen That's to good. Too, but you're completely my idol. I love listening to your oh. show. You're very, very sweet. I really appreciate that. I'll tell you what. Let's get you a signed copy of American Marxism, and you keep us informed about how well your podcast goes, okay? Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Levin. And we wish you all the best. I remember Jason when he was, it's like three years ago, maybe, two years ago. And God bless you, Jason. Good luck to all of you. Fantastic callers, fantastic audience. I'm telling you. 
We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Folks, I won't be here tomorrow. Please check out Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday. Bookmark it somehow, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 